the, when was the last time that you were in a place that you weren't all that familiar with? You know, when you had to get your bearings. Maybe it was the, uh, that time you showed up to that, uh, that school that you had never been to before. And, and you had to find out where your locker was and where your classes were. And you had to navigate across campus. And maybe it was when you were traveling. In fact, uh, last September, Vicky and I, after having saved up for quite some time, uh, had the privilege of being able to go over to London. And so we flew into Heathrow and we took the Piccadilly line into South Kensington, part of London, which means that we were on the far western edge of that part of London that people tend to go and visit and see the sights, which meant that for us to go and see the sights, we had to head east, and, and there, there was a lot to explore east of our hotel. Now, we had some options, never having been to London before. We could go down to the front desk of our hotel and ask somebody, hey, we want to go to St. Paul's Cathedral today. How should we get there? And we could be dependent upon that individual to give us their best guess on, on how to do that or the route that they prefer. But what we discovered, and something that many of you probably already know about, is that there are these wonderful apps that can show you all kinds of options. And so we uh, had downloaded City Mapper. And when you click the app open, you give it permission to know your location, and you type in your destination, it shows you all of your options. It shows you uh, all the bus alternatives. In fact, it shows you if you want to take the first leg in the underground and then you could take, you could walk for three minutes and get on this bus and it'll arrive at this time and here's how much it'll cost. And it shows you how much a taxi would cost or an Uber would cost and in the length of drive it would take. So it was a difference between you could discover something that might work or you could have access to the best. Oftentimes, I think in life, we settle for what we think might work. In fact, we may even be misguided in whether it works at all. What if we could have access to what is best and not just what might work? Well, James is going to want us to know that access to the very best is ours for the asking. We're uh, in this series that we're calling Living Faith. It's a study of the book of James in the New Testament. Uh, James, uh, the, the book of James is the uh, book that has that line in there that a faith without works is dead. And so we want to be about living faith, a, a faith that is alive, that is working itself out, that, that has action attached to it, that we would live our faith. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. And it, it's probably going to be helpful that, that we remember from last week that there's this teaching in verses 2 and f- uh, through 4 that's then picked up again in verse 12. And it's all about, hey, when you meet trials, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And so it's bookend, this, these verses in between are bookend by teaching on living in the midst of trials. So anything we read in between, we know for sure that it, it very much attaches itself to life in the midst of trials. And yet the way that James writes, he helps us know it's not just 
for times of trials. So with this in mind, we're going to look at these uh, four verses. If you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word this morning. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Hear the word of God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and may God add his blessing to our time together. Please be seated. How to live with eternal perspective in moments when other voices fight for our attention and our allegiance. Wouldn't it be great to know how to live with eternal perspective in every single moment even as other voices are working to get our attention and our allegiance. For instance, wouldn't it be great to have eternal perspective when you feel like everybody likes you? You know, when you have all kinds of affirmation, wouldn't it be great to be able to have eternal perspective in that moment? Or how about when you feel like nobody likes you? To have eternal perspective in moments like that. Wouldn't it be great to have eternal perspective when there's a pandemic? You know, when the pandemic seems to hit close to your home and, and you feel the weight of just the general angst and unknowing of this season in the world? Or how about to have eternal perspective when you discover that the pandemic is hitting a house on the other side of town, on the other side of the tracks? What if you could have eternal perspective when the school board makes a decision that totally agrees with everything you hold to be true? Or to have eternal perspective when the school board makes a decision that you don't agree with at all. Or if you were on the school board and to have eternal perspective. Wouldn't it be great to have eternal perspective when you are flush with cash? When you get a promotion and, and you get a raise with that promotion? Or wouldn't it be great to have eternal perspective when you're not sure if you can pay your bills? To have eternal perspective when your spouse is angry with you? Or when you're angry with your spouse. To have eternal perspective when you feel anxious or when you feel calm. Eternal perspective is this. It's God's perspective. God is the eternal one. And so to have God's perspective on things is to have eternal perspective. It's the perspective based on who God is. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to turn to our verses. We're going to look for three things from four verses. This is what James gives us. Three things from four verses. He has something to say about God, something to say about wisdom, and then something to say about how to ask for wisdom. So let's begin with what he has to say about God. Now, I've shared before that I like to hike, and I've been hiking most of my life. You know, when I started hiking, it was common practice that you would fill your water bottle, you'd fill your canteen in the mountain streams. You would just dip it down in the mountain streams and, and fill it up and, and you'd go along your way. And, and the water looks so clear and it tastes so good. And then they discovered Giardia. 
in Giardia. We threw a, a picture up here on the screen. It's a microscopic organism, so it's not quite this large in, in real life, uh, but uh, it likes to swim in mountain streams. It's because there is, if you look upstream from where you might be drinking, if you look at the source, it's has, it has... It will tend to have excrement flowing into uh, the water. So although it looks good, although it might even taste good, there's a flaw with it. Upstream, there's a flaw. It's so important to know and to trust the source of things. It's true in mountain streams. It's also true with regard to wisdom. And James wants us to know that the source, if we put God as the source of our wisdom, if we count on God as the source of our wisdom, we can trust him in this. Let's take a look at the second half of verse 5. Here's where James gives us guidance on who God is as a source of wisdom. And on the screen, what I've done is I provided it in a more literal translation, this little half of verse actually provides uh, some grammatical pieces that are hard to translate into English. So we're going to walk through it as, as it's written in the Greek. And what James provides is four qualifiers that reassure us about God being that source of wisdom. The first thing he says is, tu the dontes theou, tu the dontos theou. And what he says with this is that it's the giving God. That it's a participle here being used. That, that this is who God is. The giving God. You can count on God to be giving. This is, this is how he's wired. In fact, it's a, predis, a, a present participle meaning that God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. This is who God is. And then he wor- uses the word pasin. And pasin means to all. The giving God who gives to all. And we're going to have a qualifier on all, but, but what's important to be able to note here, it's not as though God only gives to a certain class of people. It's not like there's an elite people that God gives his wisdom to, and we have to be dependent upon those elite people to be able to hear the wisdom and then give it to us, but that God gives his wisdom to all. Then comes this uh, this word uh, aplos, and it's not really used a whole lot. In fact, it, um, uh, uh, James uh, is p- uh, particular to this word in the New Testament. And aplos is, uh, in our translations, they've translated it as generously. But the meaning has more to do, and, and by the way, this is a number of different sources are speaking into this, that the meaning has more to do with uh, a, a singular focus that, that God gives simply. He gives it with um, a, a, a commitment, that God is committed to doing this, that there's a readiness of heart on God's part, as one scholar put it, readiness of heart. So the giving God who gives to all gives with Focus, And soon we're going to look at a term that James uses as a double-minded person. In contrast, God is committed to giving this gift of wisdom. The giving God gives to all singularly, sincerely. And then comes the phrase, kai me onide zondos, which is God gives without, without reproach. He gives, uh, gives without reproaching. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase. In fact, if you want to note me as the one who provided 
uh, the phrase feel free to, although uh, William Shakespeare would probably have issue with it. But all, all the world's a stage, right? You know that, that all the world's a stage. And so some of us enter into that stage feeling like we have to get things right. We better know our lines. And so we're committed to our lines. We've worked on those lines. We know our lines. Anybody ask us a question, we're zeroed in on our lines. We know our lines. And we're going to perform our lines. Others of us enter that stage, and we believe it's more like an improv experience. And we just kind of go with the flow. We, we, we don't want to say no to the people around us. And so if the whole stage is going a certain direction, well, we'll just kind of go along because that's the rule of improv. Just keep saying yes. Just keep agreeing and take it to the next level. And so maybe some of us are wired that way. When James says that God gives without reproaching, without reproach, he's affirming that God is Uh, has this desire, this singular desire, this committed desire to be able to provide us the lines we need. And he won't make fun of us for it. He he won't judge us for it. He, He wants to speak into it. In the midst of the stage, we can say, line, and God wants to give us the line for that moment. God wants to give us the wisdom for it. It's not like he's gonna go, oh, come on, Bob, you should know better by now. He's there ready to give the wisdom Uh, for us in those moments. So here's what we can know. Giving is who God is. He is this trustworthy, pure, undefiled, objectively and wholly good source of wisdom. Is this how you see God? You see, God is not there simply to make life miserable. Like sometimes we think, oh gosh, if we could only act out what we want to act out, it sure would be a lot more fun. Or some people have a perspective that God is so judgmental. God is wanting to pour his character, his wisdom into us. You know, and God is not that deistic God, you know, the God of deism that winds up the clock and goes away. He is very much present wanting to speak his character into our moment by moment living. All right, so if that's who God is, this is the source. This is the source we can trust for this wisdom. Let's talk about what wisdom is. What is it and why would we want it? Well, let's take a look at kind of a a sweeping uh, walk through Scripture as it lays out this this, uh, picture of biblical wisdom. When we go back to the fifth book of the Bible in Deuteronomy 4.6, we find this statement, the laws and statues will be their wisdom. So this is speaking during the time of Moses, right? Moses saying that, that, that the laws and the statues that, that we have received from God in this covenant that God established. He said, you know, here's teaching on how I want you to treat people who are poor. Here's um, the teaching I want you to bring to, to uh, how we treat people uh, in, in marriages and, and how you put me first in things. It says the laws and the statutes will be their wisdom and other nations will notice. So God revealing God's wisdom in the gift to Moses and that other nations would be able to see what that's all about. Then we move up to 1 Kings. This is the time of Solomon. And in chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon asks for wisdom. There's so much more to say there, but just um, in this passage, it, it, it says that he, that he would receive wisdom that he might be able to discern between good and evil. In the storyline of of the Bible, that the gift of God's wisdom is the ability to discern 
in any moment between good and evil. If we jump up into Proverbs and take just a couple of verses from Proverbs, Proverbs 2, 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So God's knowledge, God's understanding comes to us in the package of this wisdom. To have wisdom in Scripture is to have this knowledge. Then comes uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. That's this picture. And there's so much more, again, we could say just for time, we'll leave it there. But this is the Old Testament picture of wisdom. Then we come to this intertestamental time. So the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and the Jewish people used this time. There was so much going on in terms of what they were writing and reflecting upon and, and, and thinking about and and they wrote quite a bit about the concept of wisdom. So when we come to the time of the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament are, are building substantially on what they had heard in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, um, uh, uh, he has this last uh, teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, listen, the one who hears my words and applies them, that's like the wise person who built his house on a rock. And the one who here's my words, but doesn't apply them, that's like the foolish person who built their house on the sand. Wisdom, according to Jesus, would be to take his teachings and apply them. In 1 Corinthians, a couple different verses there, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So in Jesus Christ, we see the power of God manifested in Jesus Christ, we see the wisdom of God manifested. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 19, that Paul provides this statement, for the wisdom of this world is folly to God. So there's this contrast, right? That this world thinks it's wise, that we in this world, we think we might be wise, but that's simply folly to God. And God's wisdom can seem like folly to this world. All right, so if we take all of that and we want to define what true wisdom is, what biblical wisdom is, it would be like this. We'll just go through it quickly then. It flows from the character of God. In, in our situation here, we might think, well, I've got good Midwestern values. It's not the same thing. If we're from the East Coast, we might go, I've got East Coast sophistication. It's not the same thing. If we're from the West Coast, we might go, well, I got the uh, West Coast chill. It's not the same thing. That to have the wisdom, uh, it flows from the character of God. The second thing is this. It's the character of God applied to real world situ situations. Taking God's character and applying it in the context of real world situations. The Bible says it's far greater value than the fleeting treasures of this world. That it runs contrary to the wisdom of this world. And so... To know that is to know that when we live out and apply God's wisdom, that our conservative friends will think it's far too liberal. And our liberal friends will think it's far too conservative because it'll seem like folly to this world. And then finally, it's available for the asking. We might put it this way. Wisdom, according to Scripture, is navigating life with eternal perspectives. All right, so how would we ask for it? How do we request it? I remember when we were um, uh, raising our sons, we, um, I, when they would first uh, speak to adults, 
Um, you know, the, there'd be the eyes down and you know, the voice you could barely hear. And it, at best, you could make out, I think they said, mumble, 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 mumble. Um, and so we had to work at, at, okay, so what does it look like to, to speak to an adult? And what, what does it look, look like to, in order to, to be able to ask a question of somebody else and to, and to look into their eyes and, and to shake a hand and, and to listen and, and to be present for that conversation? Well, James wants us to know how we can ask, how we're to ask of God uh, for his eternal perspective for our day-to-day moments. And so we have his answer in the first part of verse 5 and then in verses 6 through 8. In the first part of verse 5, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, we've made mention of this before, that in the original language, there's actually a way of communicating um, uh, whether it's uh, a conditional clause applies or not. So a conditional clause, if something, then something, right? So here's the condition, if blank. In the way in Greek that you can write it, it, it can show, and this is true, if anyone lacks wisdom, and you do, that's the way James writes it. He doesn't write it with, and you do, but that's the, that's the sense of what he's communicating, um, that you do lack wisdom. Let him ask And again, we have here a present imperative. So it's that sense of, let him keep asking. Just keep asking. Ask and ask and ask and ask. If you lack wisdom, and you do, keep asking of God. But then he goes on in verse 6 to say, but let him ask in faith. In faith. The whole asking for God's perspective is meant to be a part of a relationship. An abiding relationship. A relationship in which we have trust and belief in God. Let him ask in faith in this relationship with no doubting, with no doubting. Now, some people in this room, uh, undoubtedly, and some people watching online, uh, feel like they have no doubts whatsoever about God. And by the way, that's fantastic. I'm glad for that. A lot of the rest of us struggle with some doubts. And so we come across a verse like this to ask in faith without any doubt, and we go, well, I'm done. I, I, I don't think I could ever do that. But the way that James is writing, the, in the Bible's perspective on this, it has much more to do with just a whole life leaning. For instance, think about David in the Old Testament. David in the Old Testament was known as a man after God's own heart. But if you were also to name the top five just going against heart, Uh, God's heart um, uh, decisions in scripture David's decision to commit adultery with Bathsheba and then to arrange for the murder of her husband would probably be uh, in that that short list of uh, of the big things going against God's heart but see there's something about David that that even when he made decisions against God's ways that he would keep coming back to God that he would keep coming back he would repent he would return and we can make this statement that David was a man after God's own heart We could say the same thing about Abraham. Abraham in the New Testament is celebrated as a person of faith. In fact, the man of faith. And yet if you go back and read his story in Genesis, we find a number of occasions where you go, really, Abraham? Couldn't you trust God in that moment? Couldn't you have faith uh, uh, in God in that moment? But there's this sense of overall, he keeps leaning back into God. He keeps returning to God. He puts God first, even when he discovers that he's made a choice not to, that his response to that would be faith. And so James is saying for us is, don't be a habitual doubter. 
Don't, don't let doubting become just as equal to your faith. He says a person like this is like a wave in the sea. Not a wave that crashes, but this is kind of a, a wave in the midst of the sea that, that okay, God, I'm going to believe in you now. And oh gosh, here's something else I want to believe in. And you could never pin the wave down. It's location, it's height, it's always changing, and you don't know its perspective, and, and it just moves from one thought to the next. A doubter is like a wave in the sea. This person is double-minded. Do you know that this word in, in the Greek, it, it doesn't appear in any other writing before uh, James. James seems to be the one who coins the phrase. We don't find it in any other Greek writing before James uh, makes use of this phrase. Double-minded, which is really to be a two-souled person, right? So this person is double-minded. They said yes to God, but they're saying yes to everything else as well, or yes to something else as well. And so in James' writing, he's contrasting this with a singular mindset, the readiness of the heart of God to give wisdom. He says, don't be double-minded. We should be used to this teaching in the Bible. You remember that place in Luke 9 where, where Jesus goes, listen, if a, um, a person puts their hand to the plow and yet turns to look behind them, that kind of person's not ready for the kingdom of heaven. That person's not of the kingdom. He puts it this way. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. The idea is be in. Be in. Be committed to God in this that we would seek God's heart. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus talks about that we can't serve two masters. We can't love both God and money. This call of being singly minded about God. A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. And so, we ask as one who wants to apply eternal perspectives to everyday situations. Now remember, it will probably seem like folly to the people around us. It'll probably seem like folly to us to take the truth of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the compassion of God, and to apply that in a moment. And God wants to speak that to us. And so a concluding word. When you go to make a decision, a choice, and you open your app, you'll have a choice. Do you open the app of this world? Whatever your world is, whether it's Midwestern values or conservatism or liberalism or progressivism, whatever, which app will you open? If we open the app, if we open ourselves to God speaking wisdom into us, we get the sense that, that we, we get greater clarification of the importance of daily devotionals, of reading scripture, of developing a prayer life, of joining life groups and being in conversation with others. Because in the midst of our walking with God, day by day, we begin to hear his voice. We get to know his character. And in the midst of these, year by year, decade by decade, God continues to speak his character 
into our lives that we would have wisdom to be able to discern the best rather than just what we think works. God, the giving God, desires to give us wisdom. It's available for the asking. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we celebrate that we get to be your people. We celebrate that you give us Jesus Christ and that in him we have new life and we have life forevermore. But God, you, you want that to be a whole life thing. You want your character to be the defining voice in our day-to-day decisions. That our life would reflect who you are. That our life would be about your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge. So God, you know the degree to which each one of us have already given ourselves over to a different wisdom. In fact, how we've even packaged our alternative wisdom in words that say it's your wisdom. God, would you bring clarity to us? Would you give us an openness to that which you teach, even if it seems like folly in this world? That God, in us, the nations would see you. That in us and in our choices, the nations would be able to see your character, your goodness, your trustworthiness, your purity, your power, and that they too would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We give you praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.